Welcome to Seekers and Scholars, a podcast from the Mary Baker Eddy Library in Boston, Massachusetts, and online at mblibrary.org. I'm Jonathan Eder, your host. One of the most significant initiatives of the Mary Baker Eddy Library is the Mary Baker Eddy Papers Project. It's a profound undertaking involving the organization, transcription, analysis, digitization, and annotation of tens of thousands of documents, with the aim to make this extensive body of materials available and accessible to the public in a responsible and carefully curated manner. The project is well underway, but was still much ahead in forging new pathways or extended pathways for continued exploration into this noteworthy collection. So I am so delighted to welcome to Seekers and Scholars the editors of the Mary Baker Eddy Papers to learn about what they have been discovering and how they've been going about presenting these materials through the Mary Baker Eddy Library website. Welcome, Dr. Sherry Darling, editor of the Mary Baker Eddy Papers, and Bronwyn Arthur, assistant editor. Hello, Sherry. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for having us. I really appreciate it. Well, it, it's great. And hello, Bronwyn. Hi. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's really wonderful. And I, I always value these opportunities to touch base with you to discover what's been going on with the Mary Baker Eddy papers. I consult the papers, and there's always some new revelation that I experience that excites me and then fuels my curiosity to to want to discover more so for me, just to imagine what it must be like to be involved with the papers on a day-to-day basis just seems extraordinary. So what does it mean to be an editor of the Mary Baker Eddy Papers? We actually feel that same sense of excitement and curiosity that you do as a user because we're learning new things every day as well. And that's always been very exciting and makes every new phase of the project something that we look forward to. Well, Brown and I are, are part of a team of people who are gathering, transcribing, annotating, and publishing the letters written by Eddie and those individuals who are writing to her. So it's about 28,000 letters from Eddie and about 35,000 that people wrote to her. And what we're trying to do is make these available to people online and make them accessible in a way where people could really understand them and really use them. As I mentioned, we're transcribing them, so we're making sure that you can read the text instead of having to read 19th century handwriting, and that they're keyword searchable. But they're also scanned, so you always have that original letter to look at, which we always feel is really important. And we're essentially footnoting them. We're in no way interpreting them, but we're offering you just some historical and contextual information that can help you understand what's happening in the correspondence. Bron, what are your thoughts on 19th century penmanship? Well, it can it can really vary. <laughs> some some of it is really clear and beautiful and easy to read, yeah. and in other cases we're really having to kind of tease out each word and in some cases where people were maybe mostly illiterate, things are spelled out phonetically, so in addition to difficult penmanship, you're trying to decipher what the word is that they are are trying to write, there, there's a number of challenges that come into play there. Has any document beaten you so far? Have you, or have you always been able to, to wrestle it down and see what's actually there? 
There are words that have beaten us, and you'll see illegible. <laughs> okay. But no, there, there's there's no document. We have some extraordinary individuals who are responsible for verifying all the transcriptions. And many a time when we're looking at something, and I don't have a clue what it says, but somebody on the team will will be able to tease it out, which is really great. Mm. If we have a really you know difficult word, yeah, we look at them all together as a team, and it's a a challenge that's fun in a way for us to try to see if we can decipher it. Fantastic. So I know for the most part, you're approaching the project on a chronological basis. So where are you with the life and career of Mary Baker Eddy at this point? Right now, in terms of what we're publishing on the website, we're just starting into 1886. And, you know, some of those foundational elements of the Christian science movement have taken place in the last few years. So, right. um, you know, she just started a normal class to allow people to teach Christian science to others because as we saw in letters, it was sort of happening and she saw, oh, okay, right. you know, there needs to be some sort of method to this. Right. And so a normal class has started. Um, the Christian Science Journal is available and people are sharing that. We're seeing that in the letters Christian science is really starting to spread further out west because you have this magazine that people can tuck in their pockets and carry it with them when they're traveling. It's a lot less expensive than science and health at the time. And so it's reaching people in all these different areas. And so these foundational elements are taking place, but it's still pretty early, early days in terms of the Christian science movement overall. So I'm just curious, uh, Bronwyn and Sherry, just recently... What have you been discovering and sharing? One of the the biggest parts we've added recently is adding the letters to Mary Baker Eddy in their full transcription. Right. So that you can see the back and forth when that exists. And that's just been, I think, really interesting for us to get this fuller picture of Mary Baker Eddy in this mentoring role when she has people writing to her saying, I'm 50 years old, am I too old to take class? And get the response back that, no, you know, you could be 10, you could be 80. Um, <laughs> yeah. And just get this great picture of how she's helping people interested in Christian science, then how she's helping her students after they've taken class with her and they have questions about what they've learned. And so I think that's been something really interesting for us to see more of as we've gotten this fuller picture of the letters she received and then how she responded to them. So, Brian, you were mentioning the Christian Science Journal, which is a periodical of the Christian Science Church. It continues today. But what was its significance during this period of the, of the 1880s? What stands out in looking at early versions of the Christian Science Journal in connection with what you're discovering in the papers? I think for a lot of people, the journal provided a real introduction to Christian science. Hmm. Like I mentioned, just because it was less expensive and was a, a magazine instead of a book. And at that time, you know, Science and Health was in two volumes, so not not super portable. But the journal you could take with you anywhere. And it just provided this introduction to the ideas of Christian science, shared some accounts of healing, and people could see, oh, okay, this maybe has something for me. I want to learn more. And what we saw in the letters is people being introduced to Christian science by the journal and then writing to Mary Baker Eddy and asking about science and health. You know, I saw this book mentioned in the magazine. Mm -hmm. I want to know more. And then 
taking an interest in having a class with Mary Baker Eddy. And so it was it was really a way to reach a, a wider audience. And we also have seen the journal as a really good way for Mary Baker Eddy to answer some questions that she was receiving. You know, she's getting questions in the form of letters, but sometimes that's something that a lot of people might want to know the answer to. And so she'll respond to it, whether in a question and answer column or it's something that's addressed in some other way in the journal. But it's an interesting way for her to be able to reach this growing movement of Christian science in a way that can more easily reach a lot of people than having to write letters to each one of them individually. It's fascinating to see that. It seems that Christian science is running in parallel with expansion in the country. People are on the move, and Christian science is on on the move. And how are those two things interacting through what you're seeing in the papers? I think this is one of the fun things that we can offer on the website, mbepapers.org, is that we've developed a map where Mm. every letter that we add gets a pinpoint on the map. And so you can scroll basically through time and space and watch the growth of Christian science. And it's interesting to see Christian science moves west as the population moves west. And we're always interested when, for example, letters are coming from the Dakota territories, right? They're not states yet. Right. That there are other sort of far-flung places you know, out in uh, California and so forth, where people are writing. And it's so interesting to think about that it it sort of took one person going. Mm-hmm. And then that can kind of plant the seed, and then other people can become interested from there. One of the ways that I stay connected with the work you're doing is through a quarterly newsletter that comes from the Mary Baker Eddy papers. And it gives me a, a little bit of a sense of, of what you're up to. And it was in a recent issue that I encountered this letter uh, that relates to this subject of the Western expansion of Christian science and its embrace of these new territories, I was fascinated by what this individual had to say. It is from a Mr. Bradford Sherman. It really, I thought, was fascinating in terms of giving a sense of the kinds of people that were interested in learning about Christian science as part of this Western expansion. He writes the following, quote, About the 16th, I was requested to go to Denver, Colorado and take a class with the promise of 10 to 14 students. Mrs. Sherman accompanied me and was a great help in my efforts to teach the large class, which forced themselves upon me to the number of 50, composed of all shades of opinions and beliefs, consisting of Jews and Gentiles, Catholics and Protestants of various breeds. I had one Unitarian clergyman, two lawyers, two doctors, and one writer and lecturer on hygienic laws. And I'm pleased to say they all accepted the truth with great unanimity. Is that characteristic, do you think, of the wide spectrum of people that were interested in Christian science at at this point? How does that kind of reflect other letters and other information you're discovering about who these people were in the mid-1880s that were being drawn to the study of Christian science. I think that's a really good letter, too, for showing that the expansion wasn't just geographical. Right. But it did expand into all different kinds of communities. It makes me think of another couple of letters that we have between Lucinda Reeves, who was a practitioner in Washington, D.C., 
who was writing to Eddie about her healing work in the African-American community Mm. in the early 1880s. And I love these letters because she's reporting basically on the challenges of here she was, a white woman in D.C. who sees a need in the African-American community, but is struggling to figure out how best to meet that need. That normally a practitioner could have someone come for treatment to their boarding house or to their hotel room, or she could easily go and visit them. But the color lines were making it challenging for her to do that. Mm -hmm. And the individuals that she was able to treat, she was meeting through a mutual friend, another Christian scientist who had these people in her employ. And so they were employees, and she would see them at that individual's house. Right. But it's fascinating to me that, you know, she does tremendous healing work, that she heals this entire family, and writes to Eddie just about her successes and just also these challenges of trying to figure out how she can expand her efforts to help more people when the societal limitations are getting in the way. Yeah. Well, it it seems like there's a lot of improvisation that's going on and flexibility that's sort of demanded of the movement in general and by individuals to meet their ultimate objective, which is to, to bring healing to those in need. Absolutely. So I'm just curious, why is it that we have this really large collection uh, related to the correspondence of, of Mary Baker Eddy? We have this large collection in part because these are the letters that were saved. And so Mary Baker Eddy clearly found it to be important to save this correspondence, mm. and it was kept over the years. Then Calvin Fry joined her to um, help her with a lot of the routine correspondence. He started a system to save the letters that came in and also letterpress books with copies of some of Eddie's letters. So if she was sending out a letter that she thought was particularly important, a copy was made in a letterpress book. Mm -hmm. And so we have those. And then letters that were collected, ones that she wrote over the years. You know, it's really interesting to have this whole body of letters that she received that were seen as important to be kept. And now we have this great record of the early Christian science movement through all of these letters that were kept. I think you could say that Eddie is really her own first archivist. Right. And it's it's amazing to me, especially early on when she was moving a lot, how many letters she retained. And so that all these letters had to make the move with her. You know, and as Bronwyn said, it, then it really becomes uh, Calvin Fry's job to set up a system and maintain the enormous amount of letters that they're exchanging. And I think you can chart in some ways, the success of the movement through what is saved Mm. because you have individuals recognizing that her letters were important and that they should hold on to them. And early on, it's much spottier. We have far more incoming correspondence because Eddie and Fry were so good about saving them. And it's only later after people are recognizing Eddie's importance that the letters are getting saved And then fortunately, they were able to make their way back into the collection, you know, later on that there were calls that came out where they would say, if you have any letters, please, we'd like copies at least, if not the original letters. But in most cases, the original letters made their way back to 
the archive, and that's that's why we're so blessed to to have so many, both of her letters and of those coming into her. So, Sherry, both you and Bronwyn were noting the significance of Calvin Fry in terms of the documentation we have in the collection. Tell us a little bit about his role and uh, when he came on this scene and became so much a part of what was going on in terms of Mary Baker Eddy's correspondence. So Calvin Fry comes on the scene in 1882, and he goes on to have this extensive career with her. And he really becomes so central as the movement grows and being able to keep things organized to respond. They get so many requests for science and health at this point and so many orders for subscriptions of the journal. And he's the person who's managing all of that and keeping track of the correspondence and who needs to be responded to. And, you know, obviously his role just grows and grows, but it's important too that he's also a practitioner. I see. So it's not as though he's just coming in as someone who's just really efficient at being a secretary, but he also really understands what she's trying to do. And he's really there to grow and to learn. And, you know, he's doing everything he can to really use his time with her wisely and to to learn as much about Christian science as he can, while also be so instrumental to the growth and success of the movement. Right. So you're saying that Mary Baker Eddy was kind of the first archivist of the Mary Baker Eddy collection. (laughs) What's it like for you in the 21st century with contemporary archival practices to engage with this collection? How, How do you understand what it is you need to do to best organize and understand and then represent the collection for others to use? I think our goals are two-part. One is preservation, mm-hmm. and the other is accessibility. Right. That we want to make sure that the letters are are preserved and also that as many people as possible can read them and make use of them. And to that end, we're trying to follow best practices um, for papers projects that we really pay a lot of attention to that and um, make sure that we're doing everything we can so that these electronic files are being preserved as well as we're preserving the paper and that people are going to have access to them in the easiest way possible. And accessibility, we take that very seriously, not only in terms of the annotation we provide where we make sure if it says, dear student, you know who the student was and that if there's an event that gets mentioned, we try to give you just some background. You know, obviously we're not, interested in in interpreting these letters, but we want to make sure that we can give as much context as possible so that they can be understood. And the other part of that is making sure that they link up, making sure that the letters that are related to one another are linked. And so people can see that this is a conversation. I think one of the things that is really important to us is that you really see that Eddie was working in dialogue with people, that she wasn't merely, you know, pontificating, um, that she was answering people's questions and really trying to mentor them. And I think that's what's so critical about these letters is that it reveals so much about her own character and her own method of working that she didn't just turn people loose and say good luck. But instead, she was deeply involved Mm -hmm. in wanting to 
help them succeed. And so you see in the letters that it's really important that we get both sides of the conversation. And I think that's one thing that's really important about this project is that we are doing both sides and that it's not just a string of Eddie quotes that we're putting out Mm -hmm. because, you know, here's a really good one. And then, you know, here's another really good one. But instead you're getting the full context. You're getting where this person's saying like, hey, I've just taken class with you, but I'm really struggling. You know, I've gone back out and my practice isn't as successful as I, I would like it to be that the people just aren't coming to me now. And But then you get her response where she's saying, remember what we learned in class, that this is something that we could expect that you're going to have to work through, Mm -hmm. but that you can and that what you're doing is really important and that you really see her shepherding people through hard times where if we only just hold out like is sort of happy quotes or whatever, you would miss the real meat of where it was okay that people were struggling. She just wanted to help them through those struggles. Right. You know, it, it, from what you're saying, it, it seems like that sort of happy balance is sort of difficult to to find often because either you have on the one hand those who are struggling to build their practice and, and their their teaching, and then you have others who seem to be overwhelmed <laughs> by having more than they can handle. And it's the same people. Oh, That's wow. That's the thing. They're, not, they're, they're actually the same people. Bronwyn, wow. wouldn't you say so things that— So tra- things change. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting in particular with some of the letters where more were kept on both sides, where you get the letter where they're struggling, like Sherry mentioned, and then a bit later you get another letter where there's great successes happening. And so, and then, you know, maybe there's going to be more struggles again down the road, but you can kind of follow someone's whole path in certain cases, which can be really interesting. Absolutely. Sherry, Bronwyn, you're both very busy people. You're you're raising families and working on (laughs) the Mary Baker Eddy papers. But if you had the time, what would be a research inquiry that you would want to delve into more deeply if you were to write a paper, an article or something? There's one subject that I I would love for someone else to delve into more. Someone who who knows more uh, about this than I do. We have been able to note letters from about at least 20 different women who were physicians of some sort who wrote to Mary Baker Eddy. So that includes formally trained doctors uh, down to people who just were sort of voluntary, you know, nurses in their community. And it's really interesting to me, primarily these were women who were focused on treating other women. And they see Christian science as something that really makes sense to them. Mm -hmm. And so they're writing to Eddie. And what is it about the connection between health and spirituality that was making sense to women at the time? And we don't see that same response from, like, say, for example, most male clergy who were often, you know, more hostile not all of them, but we see some pretty vocal individuals who were hostile to Christian science. And I'm just really interested in this intersection between health and spirituality that seems to have been just normal or expected for the care of women. Mm-hmm. And they're just fascinating letters. And some of them are sort of one-off. They write to Eddie and there isn't much more that we can see that happens, but there's others who become really interested and who are reading science and health and who are interested in ways 
of incorporating Eddie's teachings into their own medical practices. I would love for somebody to, to pick that up. And it's quite possible that these individuals are already the primary subjects of people who are doing research, you know, on yeah. uh, women and health in the 19th century. Well, I hope that happens. Well, thank you so much, Sherry and, and Bronwyn, for just giving us a, a deeper insight into the work you're doing and to the richness of your work and of this, this collection. It is multidimensional. Um, it's, it's fascinating. I think it's very hard to do it justice, <laughs> except for people to go in and experience it for themselves. There, there is so much there. I suppose, you know, the one danger is you could just get really profoundly drawn into it and, you know, forget about lunch and dinner or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, um, that aside... It, it's really so valuable. So after we conclude this interview, I'm just curious, what will you be doing? What will be your next steps for the project? Well, I will be publishing pre-72 letters, but I will also be looking at some 1895 and 1896 letters. And Bronwyn, what will you be doing? Well, one aspect that I work on in particular that also helps with not getting totally lost in the papers is coming up with ideas from the papers to share on social media. And so I'm always finding a few different ideas to share over the course of the month. So that's something that I will be working on. And that's a great place to kind of get a little taste of the papers and other things that are going on at the library is to follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And as we've talked about earlier, our quarterly email update and our monthly articles on the library's website are a good place to get a little taste of what we're doing. And so I'm always looking for different ideas and kind of keeping track of what's interesting to develop out in to share in all those ways. Thank you so much, Sherry and Bronwyn. It's been really meaningful and pleasurable to talk to you about your work. Thank you so much, Jonathan. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It's always fun to have the chance to share a little bit of what we're doing. It was great to have this conversation with Sherry and Bronwyn, Dr. Sherry Darling and Bronwyn Arthur, about the Mary Baker Eddy papers. If you haven't done so already, I very much encourage you to go to the Mary Baker Eddy Library website and look along the top and you'll come to a category called Research. Click on that. The first menu item that comes up is Mary Baker Eddy Papers, and that will be your entree into this extraordinary world that the Mary Baker Eddy Papers is revealing to us about the experience of Mary Baker Eddy and the early decades of the Christian Science Movement. We hope you'll join us for our next episode as we welcome in an authority on 19th century American religious experience. We'll be exploring Mary Baker Eddy in that context. I'm Jonathan Eder. Thank you so much for listening to Seekers and Scholars. This podcast was produced by the Mary Baker Eddy Library. Copyright 2021.